It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever since the dawn of art and the birth of money, the two have been locked in an unhealthy embrace. People have always vied to own great art, to hang an original on their wall. Works by old masters and modern artists fetch millions at auction. Lot 74 by Rembrandt, St. James the Greater. We'll start the bidding with $15 million, at $18 million now on my right. Last chance, are we all done at $23 million then? Sold, $23 million. But what if you couldn't hang the art you'd bought on a wall? What if everyone else in the world had as much access to it as you did? On the 21st of March this year, Christie's in New York held an online auction. There was just one lot on sale. It was a digital artwork titled Every Days, The First 5,000 Days. The Christie's auction for digital artist Beeple Uh, whose real name is uh, Mike Winkleman. Who's now the third most valuable living artist behind Jeff Koons and Dave Hockney in the world. The buyer of that $69 million Beeple goes by the pseudonym Medicoban. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the rise of crypto art. Power to the Beeple. For Mike Winkleman... A 39-year-old graphic designer, it could have been any other night, as his family gathered around the TV at home in South Carolina. So we are in my living room, and we're watching the closing of the auction, which closes in an hour and 18 minutes. It's already at, like, an absolutely ridiculous amount. But this was the night their lives would change forever. For Mike, it's no ordinary graphic designer, For more than a decade, he's been creating a daily digital doodle under the name of Beeple. The artwork that I made is very much influenced by the tools and influenced by the work of a bunch of people in the crypto community as well. This is a whole new art market. So when Christie's auctioned off Beeple's work last month, nobody really knew what it might be worth. The bidding opened at $100. And then this happened. Sixty-nine million. I think it probably means digital artists here to stay. I'm going to Disney World. Now, I wouldn't claim to be an art expert, but I was stunned to see a piece of digital art that I'd never even heard of. 
suddenly selling for $69 million. That's more than the price of works by Turner, Canaletto, Goya and a whole host of artists famous enough not to need a first name. So to find out if the art world was as shocked as I was, I turned to an insider, art critic and art editor at Time Out, Eddie Frankel. You never know when something will go for 68 million all of a sudden or when something might not even sell. So I wasn't too surprised. What is surprising is the fact that Beeple is an art world outsider. So normally those sorts of prices are reserved for Gerhard Richter, Peter Doig, Anthony Gormley. That's three of the most successful contemporary artists. And suddenly this guy who isn't represented by a traditional blue chip art gallery is now hitting the same sales figures as one of the big names. That sort of thing sends ripples through the art world. Tell me about the actual art, the piece of work. Could you describe it for us? Tell us what it's like. So the first 5,000 days is a JPEG, essentially. So it's just a digital image. He made one image a day for 5,000 days and then put them all together and sold that as one big piece. So it's a big collage. Artistically speaking, it's not particularly interesting or satisfying. It gets more interesting when you dive a little bit deeper and start looking at the individual images. But when you start doing that, you start seeing some slightly dodgy things, questionably sexist, questionably racist. He's uh, definitely dancing on the edge of good taste. So mentally imagining a giant collage, lots of tiny images. The images that you see, are they computer generated? Very early stuff is paper and pen sketches. And then as it goes on, it becomes far more elaborate digital stuff that he does using various Adobe programs like Photoshop and things like that. There's an edge of satire to them, the everyday work of an artist, so some stuff will be better than others. The thing that's interesting about this is that none of this work ever would have made waves in the traditional art world. He's not a good artist Uh. in any traditional sense. He's not got great penmanship. You wouldn't see it next to any of the great artists of the past. Mm. He's playing on memes and on internet tropes. So if you're someone who spends a lot of time on the internet, there might not be any appeal for you in Gerhard Richter. But you might see his work and go, actually, that resonates with me far more strongly than an abstract that goes for 70 million at Christie's. I'd much rather buy something that hit on memes and on internet jokes. I can forgive bad drawing. I can forgive bad painting. What I can't forgive is weak conceptual framing. So he hasn't got very good ideas, is what I mean. I mean, you said some of them seem to teeter on the the sexist and, and racist What sort of images are you looking at that make you think, I'm not sure about this? One of the images is Hillary Clinton with gold teeth, and the image is called Senator Clinton makes a last-ditch effort to reach black voters. So, I mean, that's fairly, fairly poor taste. One of them is a pink abstract, and it says, if I was one of them fancy-dancy elite art homos, I'd call this light study version one. He's got an image of Hillary for president with a penis. He's got an image of an Asian man, and it's called a fat, nerdy Chinese kid and his imaginary friends. They call it edgelord humour. Stuff that plays at the edge of good taste and often jumps way over the edge of good taste. And that stuff's in there. The uh, Asian guy image is from 2007. So maybe 14 years ago, he wasn't the mature artist he is now. But that's part of what this big work is. So... Just to recap, this $69 million artwork consists of a digital collage made up of 5,000 images, some racist, some sexist, most poorly conceived, 
put together by a relative unknown, which people were willing to pay eye-watering sums for. Now, if you're anything like me, at this stage, you might be wondering, why? I don't think people cares whether or not this stuff is offensive because the people who care about it are probably the traditional art world. Whereas the guy who bought this is a tech investor, a crypto investor. This is part of online culture. You see so many landscapes. You see so many semi-nude pictures of robo-babes. You see astronauts floating in space. And they, they don't mean anything. They're just sort of nice images to the people who made them. They're not conceptual. There's no sort of great thought. No. It's a bunch of nice images. It really reminds me of what would have been shown in the 1830s Paris salons. You've got satire, landscape, portraiture, some nude ladies, and not a lot of high concept art happening. That's so interesting. Because these people are close to illustration and 3D design than they are to fine art. They maybe studied design at university instead of doing sculpture at St. Martin's or something. And so it's sort of lacking the conceptual rigour that you would get with a lot of stuff that you would see in the big galleries in the Tate. Looking at this auction and looking at the sort of price it fetched, my jaw was on the ground. And I wondered if this is just the equivalent of a generation ago, how people would have felt about Damien Hirst making a fortune for his spots. Damien Hirst, when he made headlines, he was already part of the art world. He was mm. part of the art institution. He was already represented by major galleries. So it wasn't a huge surprise. NFTs are more interesting than that because these are people coming out of never having made that kind of money, out of never having had a major show at a major gallery, and they're doing it off their own backs. I would say it's important to be wary of the value that's being assigned to these. Let's say you're a crypto investor like the guy who bought the Beeple. You invested years ago. Your money is now worth infinitely more because you bought Bitcoin when clever people bought Bitcoin. And by spending tons of money on a work of art, you're making everyone pay attention to the value of Bitcoin and driving up the value of the thing you've invested in. Ah. So it's not as simple as going, oh, Beeple is worth X amount of dollars, it's actually more, I'm going to use buying people as a way to drive interest in the thing that I'm really invested in. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that at all. So this is almost a business model. The most important thing to remember with NFTs, and this is something that I'm finding slightly frustrating whenever I notice it, is that people talk about NFTs as if they're a form of art. They're not. If at this point you're wondering, but what is an NFT? you're not alone. Having heard Eddie mention them a few times, I gave in and asked him to explain the term, mostly for my benefit. An NFT is non-fungible token. A non-fungible token. Well, that's cleared that up. And what it means is, let's say you created a work of art and you minted it, which is what they call creating an NFT. That process puts it on the blockchain. The blockchain, in the simplest possible terms, is a contract that can't be altered. So you've created your image, you've put it on the blockchain, and now you can sell it on. And so whoever's bought it knows who the creator is, who put it on the blockchain, and it's now traceable. Compare that to what happens with a painting that you buy at a normal art gallery. You can buy the painting, take it home, forget about it. A couple of years later, you give it to your uncle, who gives it to his mate, who gives it to his mate, puts it in his attic, and you never see the painting again. Mm. You don't know where it is. You don't know who it belongs to. And then maybe 20 years later, someone goes, here's the painting, but it's actually a fake. And you can't prove where anything is. It leads to really complicated scenarios with traditional art. With an NFT, that's totally gone. People talk about NFTs as if they're a form of art. They're not. NFT is a way of selling art. 
you create an NFT out of something that you've got hanging around on your computer hard drive. And that's the actual art. The NFT is just a way of selling it. And some slightly older art critics than me have been saying recently that oh, NFTs are just a tool that an artist can use, like a camera or a pencil. That's not true. An NFT is a financial instrument. Mm. That's all it is. It's a way of selling art. And people are just paying attention to it because it's making a lot of money right now. And that drives more people into cryptocurrencies and things like Bitcoin, which raises the price again. NFTs, it's the buzzword that investors and collectors are throwing a lot of money at. Everyone from artists to musicians to athletes are jumping on the NFT digital bandwagon and they're making loads of real cash in the process. There's some really interesting stuff happening in NFT art. There's some generative AI-based art, which I find way more interesting than most of this other stuff. And there is also a huge amount on the very surface, which is, you know, pretty poor quality aesthetics. You know, it's not great art, but clearly somebody likes it. So you might just say taste is, a, is such a subjective thing. The thing that I don't understand about the value is that unlike when you buy a painting where you have the only one, here, you're buying a JPEG, but anybody else can take that internet image and print it off or do whatever they want to with it. It doesn't stop other people from seeing it. You just happen to own the JPEG. <laughs> Why do people buy something that they can't really possess? Say, for example, you went into an art gallery and there was a photo. You could, if you really wanted to, probably find a high-resolution version of that photo on the internet print it out and frame it, and you would own a version of it. Mm. But would you be owning the quote-unquote original? No. So people like the idea of owning originals of stuff. There was a really amazing story when NFTs were just starting to hit the headlines. There's a very big designer called David Rudnick. He created an image of a rose and that sold for a huge amount of money. Lots of people on Twitter were talking about how much money this David Rudnick rose had gone for. Mm. And then someone replied to David Rudnick talking about it, having just right-clicked and saved image. When you save an image on an iPhone, it gives you a little tick that says saved on top of the image. He took the image of the rose with the tick on it and turned that into an NFT and sold that. Yeah. I mean, that's actually more interesting than, <laughs> than a lot of the other art that's happened around this. Who knows why people want to own art? Why would you want to own the Mona Lisa more than a poster of the Mona Lisa? Does it have any more value? You could argue we're actually seeing a painting, you know, almost being able to feel the texture, the paint. It's a different thing to having a poster of it. The fact is that ownership of all works of art is reserved for an elite few. I worry about it too much and I wish I didn't because I'll never be able to own one so it doesn't matter really that's not how I appreciate art or how the vast majority of people appreciate art the other day just to understand the process I bought myself some cryptocurrency a whopping $50 worth of Ethereum suddenly I'm an NFT art investor I mean I haven't bought anything with it Talk to me about that. Even old school art is about buying into a lifestyle it's about being the sort of person who goes to a gallery it's about how it makes you feel being part of that world how does it feel to be part of the NFT world? One of the reasons this has caused so much upset is that it's excluded the traditional art collectors. So if you go to Freeze Art Fair, you go to one of the big blue chip galleries, mm. there's a certain kind of person with a certain amount of money who can afford to be there and buy those works of art. Yeah. But those people probably haven't invested quite as heavily in cryptocurrency. So the people who can afford to buy a David Rudnick Rose or a Beeple first 5,000 days are not the traditional art collectors. They're people with vast amounts in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm. So they're part of a totally different subset of very, very rich people who are heavily integrated into the worlds of tech. 
We're talking about two very separate worlds. It gets interesting for me when you see the artists who straddle the line between the tech world and the fine art world. One of the things I really don't like about NFTs is the idea of ownership compared to the original intentions behind so many digital artworks. The 1990s internet art and then the 2000s post-internet art movements were all about creating artworks that could be shared. When you think about how memes work, the whole point of a meme is that you create an image and it gets shared. The modern equivalent of public art, it really is there for everybody. Exactly. That's the thing that's so liberating about being interested in internet and digital art is that it belongs to everyone. And now you've got meme creators who suddenly go, well, that original image I made 10 years ago, which went all over the internet, I can now mint that as an NFT and sell it. But by selling it and allowing one person to own it, suddenly it's not a meme anymore because it can't be shared, legally speaking. Mm. We're just entering very muddy waters. Well, if I'm going to make a JPEG, I don't want it to be a meme. I want it to make me £10,000, which is, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Artists should get paid, really. But, I mean, it gets complicated. Is this a bubble? Is this one of those mad little frenzies and, and then everyone will, will, will sit down and, and decide that maybe this has all gone a bit mad? Or is this the way art is now going? Is, is this the future? The value is definitely a bubble because already since the Beeple sold, the average price of an NFT has completely plummeted. But what's important to remember is the other digital artists were creating their art long before NFTs became part of the conversation. All this has done is push digital art more into the mainstream conversation, which can only be a good thing for people to be talking about new kinds of art. Coming up, we can see how NFTs are already changing the art world, but what else could they be used for? We meet the American twins behind one of the fastest-growing NFT platforms. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. The art critic, Eddie Frankel, expertly guided us through the creative corridors of the digital art world. But how else might NFTs be used? And who are the people driving the current boom? Newly minted assistant editor of The Times magazine, Jane Mulcairins, met the American twins behind one of the biggest NFT platforms. As everyone has felt with this story, it's hard to get our heads around even the idea of digital art, crypto art. It's incredibly intangible. And we thought that the Cop Foster brothers were just a great way in to try and explain a little bit about what crypto art is, to sort of humanise it a little bit by having people involved rather than words which all of us find a little bit terrifying <laughs> and difficult to understand, like blockchain and crypto art and cryptocurrencies. So tell me about the Cock Foster brothers. How do they fit into all this? 
So the Cork Foster brothers are 26-year-old, six-foot-five-inch twins who two years ago founded a technology company to try and sell non-fungible tokens. Their company was a little bit different to some of the other companies out there because what it allows people to do is to pay with sterling or dollars and buy these non-fungible tokens. Before they set up their company, you couldn't buy any of these with anything other than cryptocurrency. So you sort of had to already be in that world a little bit and understand it a bit and have access to cryptocurrency. But they really democratized it. They made it possible for people to buy this growing genre of art, but with real world money. And five months after they launched this platform, which is called Nifty Gateway, obviously named after NFTs, they saw sold their fledgling company to another set of twins, the Winklevoss brothers, who are probably best Uh known for taking on the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and accusing him of stealing their idea, but less well known for being the brothers who bought a Bitcoin exchange a couple of years ago called Gemini, and they bought the Cock Foster Brothers company. I did ask the Cock Foster Brothers whether that sale made them millionaires, but they were a little bit reluctant to tell me how much money they sold it for. Uh, I think we should comment. Do we have that? (laughs) No, you don't have to answer it at all. But I have to ask. <laughs> I think the art is what I really care about. You know, it's like yeah. owning cool NFTs is way better than having money. Where did you meet them? How did you meet them? I went to meet them at the headquarters of Gemini, which is the three floors of cryptocurrency exchange uh, in the middle of New York in an area known as Crypto Alley because there's so many cryptocurrency companies. So in the way that we have Silicon Valley and Silicon Roundabout, we now have Crypto Alley in New York. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, the office was completely empty. I really wanted to know if it felt like a stock exchange Mm. floor or something like that. But unfortunately, there was nobody else there except for the Cock Foster Brothers and me. There's only like four employees on the team and now we're like 25 so I think if we came back to the office now it would be a totally different you know like we'd fill up that whole section whereas before it was just like two desks (laughs) (laughs) the entire office is sort of decorated with astronauts and space themes because they really do feel like they're shooting for the moon with this kind of technology and where do they see it going they think within the next few years it will be bigger than the traditional art market. They think that the rate of growth uh, of NFTs is so exponential that it will overtake the traditional art market very soon. So 12 months ago we launched, we did $30,000 of sales total on the platform. In the first month? In our first month. And now we're we're thrilled about, by the way. We were really excited. (laughs) We were like, oh my God. So that was mid-March to mid-April 2020? That was, yeah, for the month of March. For the month of March, okay. And then here we are in the month of March 2021, and it looks like the marketplace will do... Uh, probably around $140 million in sales in the month of March 2021. So from 30000 to $140 million in a, a single month. year. Yeah, yeah. Would it only be used to buy virtual art effectively, internet art? Or is this going to become a method of payment for all sorts of other things? I mean, I think we're already seeing cryptocurrency be used to buy real-world goods, absolutely. Elon Musk has invested a lot of money in cryptocurrency and is saying that people can buy Tesla products with cryptocurrency. And actually, interestingly, Damien Hurst is accepting cryptocurrency for traditional art, not digital art. So there is definitely a bit of a merging of these worlds Mm. and of these methods of payment and methods of production. The lines are blurring quite quickly. How significant do you think this will be? I mean, how much do you think this will impact the art world altogether? One of the big arguments 
over the last 12 months is that while we haven't been able to have art fairs or gallery openings and all those traditional ways in which people show their works, people have been able to buy and sell art online, produce it online and view it online in the same way that I think we've become very used very quickly in the pandemic to taking everything online from telemedicine and Mm. to Zoom meetings. In the same way, people are buying and selling and viewing and discussing art as they would be at an art fair. A lot of the focus is on just simply the money that it's making. And interestingly, in this market, there's a lot more money to be made in the resale of the art than just in the initial sale. But the artists are entitled to a certain percentage of the art, not just in its initial sale, but its resale value too. But people are concerned that because you can't see it very easily. It's sort of like the art is being kept in a vault. It's kept on the blockchain. It isn't something that you can hang on your wall in the same way that you could with a traditional piece of art. You are sort of buying it just to say that you've bought it and to hold its transactional value. Others would say, what's the difference between that and buying some traditional art? Incredibly valuable pieces of art might be kept in a vault too. In that sense, it is the digital world replicating things that happen in the physical world already. Do you think there will be some way of using that in the old-fashioned art world? Quite possibly, yes. I mean, there should be a way of blurring that boundary and using that sense of security. And also, it could be used for many other things. For example, the arguments we have right now about vaccine passports, you know, blockchain would be one place to keep things like medical records, and you could just pull certain details out when you needed it. The application of this technology is very broad, and looking at the way that it's used in the art world could lead to other sorts of uses. The downside is, of course, that technology is only as good as the humans who are using it. So while a nifty gateway will say that the platform is incredibly secure, if its users don't use things like two-factor authentication, there is a chance that hackers can get into people's accounts and essentially steal their NFTs, which has happened. So technology can be safe, but humans... Not so much. Not so much. (laughs) If you're a novice, if this is all you know, a brave new world to you and you want to understand the sort of art that people are paying eye-watering sums for, where do you go to take a look? Well, there are many sites in which you can view it and buy it. Nifty Gateway is just one of them. There's a very big site called Crypto.com, which has a new NFT platform. And actually lots of quite big names have been signed up to produce art for it. Snoop Dogg, Lionel Richie, Boy George, people like that are all producing art for Crypto.com. If you're a sports fan, the NBA now has this huge popular platform called Top Shot, where you can buy and sell collectible basketball moments. So really depending on what you're interested in. You can buy and sell moments. You could have a clip of LeBron James dunking and you could buy that and own it and then resell it. That's actually been one of the sites that's really helped drive NFT's popularity in the first quarter of 2021. We've also been trapped in our houses. Mm. So people have been logging on to buy and sell crypto art and maybe in ways that they wouldn't have done had they been able to go to the pub, maybe. Does that mean that you couldn't show those on TV again without the person who's bought it giving you... You can replicate and duplicate any of these images or videos Mm. as much as you ever could, but the replication won't be the ownership of it. It's not that different to, say, reproducing a picture of the Mona Lisa in a newspaper. The newspaper can reproduce it but doesn't own it. Only one person really owns that image. So you could replicate any of these images via JPEG or via MP4, but you wouldn't own them necessarily. So in that sense, I don't think it's that different. 
I mean, do you think there's a chance that this is just a bubble, given how high the prices are going? I think it's very hard to say whether it's just a bubble. At the moment, there's definitely some furore over sales, which probably can't be sustained. It's the hot new thing. I think it will stabilise and I think it will continue to be a thing. But I also think that for many people, it's probably a bit like the way we talked about and thought about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin five years ago. We sort of thought, oh, maybe it's a fad. It doesn't look like a fad. It looks like these things are here to stay. It might just be a secondary market, a market that runs alongside the traditional art market. And perhaps artists will sell in both, will produce in both. As the world continues to be more and more virtual and more and more digitized, it makes sense that our cultural products live in that world too. There's nothing that's going to be the same as the experience of going to the Louvre or going to the National Gallery and seeing incredible historic works of art that have so much cultural capital and resonance in them. It's not the same as clicking on a JPEG. However well-made you know, a piece of digital art is, it hasn't got that history and that resonance that... Yeah great pieces of art do. And for you, having met the Cock Foster brothers, you know, what did you make of them? And are you rushing out now to get an NFT you'd want to do? <laughs> I was very, very impressed by the Cock Foster brothers. They were so unlike the tech bros that I was anticipating. They were really quite humble, incredibly thoughtful. They took on the criticisms that I threw at them, such as blockchain is notoriously bad for the environment because it uses so much power. And that is problematic. And they didn't shy away from any of the criticisms that I had of the markets. So I was very impressed with them. There's kind of a misunderstanding about the way the blockchain works. And I think it's sort of like driving a car where like you hit the gas pedal and then carbon goes into the air. But it's actually much more similar to riding a subway where the blockchain operates regardless of whether or not we use it or any other NFT platform uses it, it'll still be running. Like even if every crypto art platform shut down, like the Ethereum blockchain would still be running right. and the same amount of energy would be used. Right, right. Smart people are working around the clock to transition it to, to proof of stake. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if people are unaware of the problem and are doing nothing about it. It's like people yeah. are actively trying to fix it. I think that the 26-year-old and they've already launched this company which is changing the face of art. I mean, I'm just very interested in what they do next and where they're going to take it. Do you think this will change the art world, though, for forever? I mean, is it here to stay? I think it might be here to stay, yes. Mm. The idea that you can have global art fairs that are virtual, selling work that perhaps is virtual, makes it more accessible both in terms of democratizing it so people can actually look at it but it's more accessible in terms of the physicality of it as well uh, you mm. don't have to fly to a, a hong kong art fair in order to buy a great piece of art you can do it from your front room with your slippers on people will still want to go to an art fair because people do like drinking champagne and looking at art but i think it's possible that both will happen and both will be important in years to come art critic eddie frankel agrees the old art world will limp on yet. I think uh, it means very little for the future of the art world, sadly, because I think the art world is very gate-kept. And I think the people who own the major galleries know they already have so much money that they'll keep a lid on it. You know, they, things aren't going to change too much. But what is interesting is that this means that artists have now found a way to sell direct to collectors with no gallery taking 50%, with no one taking a cut or telling you what to do. You can sell all the slightly racist, sexist art you want direct to a collector and you get to keep all the money. 
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana. And my guests, art critic and art editor at Time Out, Eddie Frankel, and assistant editor of The Times magazine, Jane Mulcurrens. You can read more of Jane's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Edward Drummond and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Richard Andrews. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, if you have any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. 